Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number. That will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Indeed, it is time for parenting once again. Joanna Fortune uh, joins us as usual. Afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, first question is this. We have a three-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl that share a room. I'm currently 25 weeks pregnant. The girls have known about my pregnancy since September. So while the new baby will be a change, it's not a recent weight on their shoulders. My issue is the three-year-old is kicking off at bedtime every night. They used to go to bed easily, but now he complains and says he wants to sleep in in the bed with us. Sometimes he will go to bed okay, but often wakes up in the middle of the night to come to us, which means his sister wakes up and then we all have to swap beds. We've tried exploring the issues, talked about what's scary, shadows, and what we can do to make him feel better, but nothing works. He has a, a nightlight, Alexa playing relaxing music, a clock to know when it's morning, and his sister in the same room. The problem is, in the middle of the night, we have no patience with them and I end up shouting at him to go to sleep as he'll be moving around the bed, lying on top of me or repeatedly asking to go downstairs. He's very much the three na- in the three-nager years and even during the day, he's very determined when he makes up his mind and wants to do something. He will scream in a tantrum for a good 40 minutes if he doesn't get his way. I don't know if there is an answer as they feel we've tried all the gentle approaches, but this can't continue when number three arrives. I mean, <laughs> I'm I sorry know, for laughing. But it's you know. just, it's so relatable, though, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? You can just feel like something has to change here. There's something, though, Sean, like these little kids have known that a new baby is coming. You know, it's very abstract. It's very mm-hmm. theoretical when you say that back in September, because knowing it up in my head, because you've just told me and me seeing the evidence as your body changes and oh, my goodness this baby's really yeah. they're different types of knowing yeah. and I imagine around 25 weeks the physical changes have started and so there's a different level of awareness for your three-year-old and it's not cognitive it's something else so I'd, I wouldn't think that oh it's not related to the pregnancy I think it very much could be and he's three years old so while you've explored the issues by talking about what's scary and all of that and I hear he's got tons of stuff going on in the room the nightlight the Alexa thing and the, you know, those grow clock morning. I mean, there's a whole lot going on there. What he wants is you. He doesn't want the gadgets and gizmos. What he's seeking is connection. And it is that relational person. I want you. I want to be in your bed cuddling with you because you're my secure base. You're my safe haven. You're where I'm going to get that co-regulation that I'm craving, not through Alexa or the clock. I really wish it was other. I really do. I Mm. wish I could sit here and say, that'll do it. No bother. Like, let that happen. But it's not going to. I think the the line here, you know, the problem in the middle of the night is we have no patience and we end up shouting. You're right. That's the actual problem here. And that's not a judgment, by the way, because none of us are at our shiny best when woken in the middle of the night. So I'm wondering, you know, with everything going on, you know, because all of the stuff that's in the bedroom, while in lots of ways you're thinking that'll help, that'll help, it could also be stimulating him. Equally, when you do lose your temper with him and you end up shouting at him, you know, that loud voice, that frustration, that's also a sensory shock to the system. So that's also going to wake him. He's like, well, I'm awake now that you've shouted at me. Let's go downstairs and think about this together. During the day, make sure that he's getting that, you know, that regulatory wave of play, high, middle and low waves of play. It's amazing at three years old, we think, Asha, they're playing and pottering around. They need a lot of that rough and tumble, active, physical, indoor, outdoor. The waves of energy have to be there. And make sure that you're getting 
getting to play with him because it's it's more of parents he's seeking that parent time so make sure you're playing with him it doesn't have to be that you're chasing him around the garden by the way you can do all kinds of different type of play with him block building or whatever it is he likes to do read to him sing to him you know do all of that at night don't just put him to bed and I don't want to make an inference here but you know don't just put him to bed and hit the relaxing music button yes it's very because it's just not a substitute for you you know for an adult I think that might Hmm. be really quite nice Hmm. to be honest but for a child he wants you so see what other bits of you you can you know he's about to be displaced as your baby this changes in your body are cueing him also be aware that you're not doing too much and too soon of that big boy now you have to be the big brother you know that type of talk that happens to little kids when there is a baby coming and Mm. we think it's preparing them but actually it can trigger behavioural regression so they have previously slept well and now they're not sleeping well just be aware of that and the other thing is you know this this three-nager word that comes up (laughs) I mean that's really for parents yeah. I mean, at three years old, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying course. it's pleasant. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's exactly his developmental task and he's yeah. nailing it. He is pushing boundaries. He's testing limits. He's exerting his control. He's letting you know in behaviour what his emotional state is. That's exactly what we expect three-year-olds to do. It's just what makes them delightfully challenging as parents, okay? <laughs> um, so, you know, do really empathise with what's going on for him. It's it's hard, you know, and it's hard for you. So tag in each other in bringing him back to bed rather than, oh, you know, at the bed dance, everybody moving beds at yeah. a certain time of the night. If you could tag each what other in. What if he your sister, though, as well. I know. Oh, no, listen, it's it's chaos. Like It's, it's glorious chaos. But he's three. He's not doing this to you. Yes, it it of course, feels yeah. like it, but he's really not. He's just letting you know I'm struggling with all this stuff that's going on. There's a lot of change for a little guy. Yeah. The poor little fella. There's no simple solution. There really isn't. I mean, you know, I think sometimes, especially when sleep related questions come in, I mean, I'd love to sit here and peddle a, you know, foolproof solution to you. Mm. I could retire off it, to be honest with you, if I had one. But the reality is one doesn't exist. You know, sleep is is one of those. It's a prolonged separation that our children have from us. And when they're having any uh oh feelings, worries or they're just a little out of sync, what they crave is connection with us to get back into sync. Mm. So they can can't do that. And sleep is that time when that's long enough. Thanks. 2am will do us back together. So they're just communicating what they need. What we'd really like them to do is do it between the hours of 7 and 8am, not 2am, of course. So it is always the parental want clashing with the child's need when it comes to sleep. But it is about you've had, you've clearly had a good sleep routine here because they were doing it. You know, Mm. he was doing it. Go back to what was last working for you and re-establish that routine. And it will involve tagging each other in, you know, tag you up. It's your turn to bring him back to bed Mm. and try to settle him. And I don't say that lightly because in the middle of the night, I think pretty much most of us will do whatever we can for all of us to get enough sleep. Yes. Yeah. Hence we we crack and we end up doing the bed shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. Or saying get into bed here. Gosh. Uh, As usual, actually, if you do have a question for Joanna, you can send it into afternoon at newstalk.com. Our son is almost six. He's become problematic at times, such as when putting clothes on or eating dinner. He roars, cries, shouts and hits and says he's not listening. We try to stay calm and talk him through, offer a hug, but not or we're not always able to manage it. It has become a stress and a handful. He's a good kid, just gets into stubborn rages. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what's happened, you know, what the change is here. Because when you say he's almost six, OK, but he has become problematic. Mm. I just want to sit with that phrase for a moment because 
because it's not that our children are seeking to be a problem, but they use problematic or challenging behavior to communicate they're having a problem. Yes. So I am not the problem. I'm letting you know I'm having one. So I think if we can hold that in mind, it allows us to get into that curiosity place, that inquisitive stance of, okay, what's going on here? I don't know what's causing him to do this, but I'm seeking to better understand. As parents, if we can stay in that kind of inquisitive stance, we have a better chance of not just reacting to the behaviour, but saying, okay, this isn't okay, but Let's think about what's going on underneath it. What's the emotional and uh, and physical state underpinning the overt behaviour? So I'm wondering, has there been any changes, you know, at home, school, friends, his general well-being, everyone else's health and well-being around him? Again, think of change from the perspective of a child who's five, almost six, Mm. because what can seem like, oh, it's not a big deal might well be a really big deal. That could be if he goes to an after school program or, you know, any kind of childcare arrangement, if there's been any change to that, that can be very dysregulating for children this age. So I think you want to get curious about what's going on. The the things that are triggering him, putting clothes on, eating dinner, those are really standard stuff, but they also tend to be the areas where as parents, what are we doing? We're telling them what, what to, to do. do. Yeah. And that might be the trigger, you know, come on, put your clothes on. We're in a hurry. Come on, come on. Why aren't you dressed yet? Or sit down and eat your dinner, eat your dinner, eat your dinner. It <laughs> tends to be where we're giving a lot of orders and direction. And I'm, and I'm not saying that means don't provide that. I'm just saying, might there be a pattern to what's triggering him? Because his reaction is quite a heightened one, roaring, crying, shouting, hitting, telling you he's not listening. Of course, if he's telling you that he is listening, you know, but if that if that's a pervasive piece and you're like, actually, yes. And if it was to correlate that it's also happening in school when he's given an instruction, if basically you're coming up with a blank based on everything I'm saying here, don't rule out consulting with somebody who does work therapeutically with children, you know, a play based therapist, a child psychotherapist who could maybe explore with him through more representational language like play what might be going on because he might not have the words to say it. You know, we're great at kind of talking through, well, this isn't okay, but he's not yet six. Mm. So he might not be able to sit there and make meaning of his behaviour. He might need another way of doing that. But get curious first, way before we get certain, get curious. I wonder, is it the return to school? It could be. And I know it feels like, but sure, look at the time of the year we're in. But actually, you know, it is different. Being Mm. back at school is different. And maybe... Children are also dealing with other changes at home at the moment because parents are maybe returning to To work, work, the commute being out of house, because I'm hearing quite a bit of that, you know, that there are now changes. Children have had their parents, I know, working from home, but physically at home for a couple of years now, some of them. And that's a significant change. It's a significant change for everybody, let's be Mm. honest. But it may be something that could trigger behaviour like this. But again, I'm saying maybe because we don't know and it's really important that you get curious about whatever else might be going on here. Yeah. My 17-year-old son has got a gigantic tattoo down his arm and it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. He thinks it's cool. Ah, did he say that? But I'm (laughs) horrified that he went ahead with it. How can I get him out of this phase and discourage him from getting any more tattoos? How does he even know uh, that that's what he wants on his body for the rest of his life? I've been trying to talk him into getting the one he has removed, but he won't listen. I'm worried it might affect his job prospects. I mean, isn't that just a perfect example of, you know, the parental perspective and, you know, he's at a stage where autonomy 
in every sense of the word. Yeah. Bodily autonomy, emotional autonomy, developmental autonomy. That is the task of adolescence. You know, it is about moving to that place of independence. And that process and adjustment that happens in adolescence is around partly around estrangement, experimenting with new styles, new tastes, new friends, music. I know you'd prefer it was just friends and music, mm. but also things like this. And I don't want to dismiss this as a phase he's going through because many people choose tattoos, body art as a form of self-expression. And there's, you know, lots of kind of, you know, some soft level studies out there, some bigger ones too, around linking this kind of expression of who you are and allowing parts of the self to be seen through the body art that you get tattooed on Mm. your body as linked to, you know, greater self-esteem, self-confidence, self-belief. So I do want to emphasise that this isn't, oh, look, he'll regret that and let him learn. He might love it. He might never regret this tattoo. But I would also kind of get curious about, I'm sure, I'm kind of, I'm sure and I'm hopeful. He didn't just take himself off to a tattoo parlour and say, put this tattoo the whole way down my arm and not have given that thought. No, I'm sure not. I'm wondering, do you not have to be 18 to get a tattoo? I don't think so, actually. In fact, I don't know how strict the age laws are around, you know, I think there's a best practice guideline. I think most tattoo studios, um, you know, certainly any I'm aware of would have an age requirement that you have to be 17 or older. But I'm, I'm sure he could go off and get this on his own at 17. But again, I'd be curious about... What is the tattoo? I know you think it's ugly, but he didn't go out of his way to put something ugly. So he has a different perspective. I wonder, could this parent come at this in a different way and say, look, it's not what I would choose for you. I want to be clear about that. I'm sure Mm. you have been clear about that, but it's not what I would choose for you. But look, you clearly put a lot of thought into it. Tell me the story of this tattoo. Who designed it? What does it represent? What does it mean to you? And if he's like, and now that we're on it, I plan to extend it and to do this and this. You could, as his parent, express your worry in a way of, I get it. I get what you want to do. I'm a bit worried that you might regret it. I wonder, could you do the tattoo that you're thinking about in a temporary ink for three to six months? And if you don't get sick of it and you don't begin to resent the look of it, then you can look at making it more permanent. You could do something like that, you know, as a middle ground or a compromise on it. But he is 17 and it does sound like in spite of your counter advice, this is what he's chosen to do. So Mm. I would say don't push him away. Don't isolate him. It is his arm at the moment. You're worried about job prospects. He can wear a shirt. He can wear a jumper. An arm can be covered. You know, yeah. and it depends on what job or career he's going to pursue. I, well, that's I don't true, want to but think I, about I, tattoos in that way, you know. No, well, I, but th- and this is, I think, very much a generational thing that, that you know, that, that his age group and, and young yeah. adults routinely have tattoos. It's not a big deal. It's not a sign of it rebellion. It used to be. It used to be. Yes, yeah. of course. But, but, and but, I think but that's now exactly it's, it. Uh, so like they're going to grow up in a world where tattoos are generally accepted. Yeah. And so it's sorry, you know, he will get a job in the bank or whatever. I you completely know, probably with, agree with Unless you. he's got like hate tattooed in his forehead. Completely that might be a different. bit scary. But completely different. Yeah. But uh, that's what I think. I would actually just, you know, be interested in what interests him, see it as him enjoying his body, a form of self-expression. This is about the uh, task of autonomy. And even though you don't like it and you're allowed not to like it and you're even allowed oh, to sure. say, look, I wouldn't get it. I wouldn't choose it for you. There is that part of me that wishes you didn't get it because I am worried you'll regret it. You can still tolerate his choice. Yeah. 
Uh, and there's also tat- all the tattoo places do removal now as well. I imagine the removal point. of what's described as a gigantic tattoo down his arm is not an easy Oh, I imagine process not. And yeah. massively painful and really expensive. Yeah. So it isn't as simple as got this massive tattoo, I'm off to get it removed. That would be equally a massive decision. Yeah. No, it's not. Apparently it's not illegal uh, uh, for yeah, under 18s to, uh, yeah. uh, to, to get a tattoo. Actually, I should have known that. I have a child who got a tattoo on the back of his leg uh, when he was 16. Ah. Uh, but didn't tell anyone. And uh, uh, only shows you how dense you can be. Went on a family holiday and didn't think to ask myself, why does he always jump backwards into the pool? <laughs> <laughs> you are listening Very to the... creative. <laughs> you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, we're going to take a break after that. Should I bring the kids to a family wedding? Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You want a fortune is still with us for our parenting slot. Afternoon at Newstalk.com if you'd like to uh, send in a question. On the subject of tattoos, uh, Nora says, uh, why don't you suggest you go with him if he plans to get another one in the future? That's... Oh, yeah. Teenage boys love bringing their mothers to the tattoo parlor. Unless you mean to get one with him and it yeah. could be a joint thing. Cool. Uh, um, that kid's parent needs to come home with a removable tattoo down along their arm. Tell the kid we're tattoo buddies. Uh, they won't be long getting it removed. Uh, Laura says, I started getting tattooed at 18. I'm fairly covered. Don't regret any of them. I'm 32 now. Both my parents throw a support of an understanding of my choices. And getting a job, uh, a job was never a problem, uh, she says. Uh, another text that says, I also hid my tattoo from my parents on a son holiday. It was on my ankle. Kept it hidden for four years. Well done. That must have been funny when you came back from holidays and just one part of your leg was uh, completely white still. <laughs> uh, my sister has uh, kindly included my kids on the wedding invite. I'm in two minds about bringing them. I'm lucky. I have the option of friends looking after them on the day if needed. I know my sister would like them to be there, but my kids are five and three and hyperactive at the best of times. I'm worried they'll cause a huge ruckus and take away the day from her. I don't want the whole wedding to be looking at my kids going mad instead of the bride and groom. Should I leave the kids at home? Otherwise, what can I say to them to get them to behave on the day? I mean, I feel like... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but this is not about your kids. (laughs) No, and it's okay that it's not. You know, this is very much your choice. It is your sister's day, but as her sister, it's also an important day for you and you want to be able to be fully present and engaged and, you know, be part of your sister getting married. So, you know, if you don't want to be running after your kids and you know they're active, busy as five and three year olds are and you have an option to leave them at home leave them at home mm. you know yeah. they'll probably be as happy as well because they won't have you going sit down stop don't run don't do this mm. because I do think you know weddings are of course family events but they're also at cer- and certainly at a certain point of the event an adult environment you know there's a lot of grown ups drinking alcohol conversation all of that You know, kids sitting down, listening to speeches, having to sit at a table for three, four courses, whatever it is. It's not exactly fun for them. No, you know? not at all. And so it's when are we going on? You're not now? denying yeah. them anything yeah. by them not being there. It's about, you know, and when you say your sister would like them there, if there are other family kids or friends, kids coming, you know, what is the arrangement? Could you all come together and arrange for on-site childcare or entertainment? So, because the bottom of the question is, look, what can you say to get them to behave? I mean, 
you can't. It's mm. all, you know, biscuits and fizzy drinks and things that combined with five and three year olds are going to be really, really busy and boisterous. I think you go with what's going to work for you. If you really want to enjoy the day, yeah. leave them with friends. Yeah. If you want them to be part of the event, make adequate provision for at what point of the day are you going to be having arrangement of childcare or else you're saying your participation in the wedding will end at eight o'clock or whatever it might be that so that you point. can take yeah. care of them. Like if you go to a wedding, like I've done it, you go to a wedding with a small child, you're not really at the wedding. No, you're no, just you're kind not. of passing through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in some way, if it's a, you know, somebody that you're happy enough to go and have your kids there mm. and leave, but it's your sister and you may want to really get hands on involved and stuck into it, then, yeah, I think you know the answer. Yeah. My three-year-old got into the habit of going off to sleep on the couch, and now we can't get her. Uh, now we can't get her to go into the bed. Uh, if we do, she screams and cries. In general, when we lift her uh, in after eleven o'clock, she sleeps all night. But it's become a bit of a nightmare. If we go for a sleepover somewhere, she insists <laughs> on their couch too. I know we need to enforce change, but she's also struggling with the toilet, so we wanted to be careful. So that last bit kind of threw me. You know, we're talking about sleeping on the couch and then there's this bit about the toilet. So I'm inferring that what you mean, mm. that you don't want to stress her out a whole lot by making the, the sleeping on the couch a battle in case it was to exacerbate the toilet symptom, because otherwise I'm not seeing how, how the two are linked. Uh, but when you say your three-year-old got into the habit, you know, the habit had to be enabled to be fair to her, you know, she didn't just say, well, there'll be the couch for me tonight, guys. That's yeah. just where it's going to be. At some point you said, oh, sure, look, let her, let her, let her, let her. And it became a habit. I mean, the good news is about a habit that if she could form this as a habit, she can learn a new habit. The bad news is habit formation takes time. It takes patience. It takes perseverance. And, you know, it's nice for her maybe to go to sleep on the couch because I imagine you're still sitting there with her mm. and then she wakes up in her own bed and it's like magic. You know, I don't know how I got here, but this was great. Yeah. And I'm also hearing she's sleeping all night doing it. But I think you've got to make it appealing to go up the stairs to her own bed. And that might be that you walk up in a funny, interesting way or you put her feet on your feet and you or you carry her up you know, whatever way is interesting about going up the stairs, you get to the room, you have your routine that is playful, but not massively highly stimulating, but just yeah. playful and fun. We go upstairs, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We're going to play a game, we're going to have our story, we'll have our special good night routine, we'll do our little sleep spray, whatever it might be, and then we're going to go to sleep. Mm. And you just repeat it in the same calm, consistent way to form a new habit, to form a new pattern and routine around it. I mean, I would read this that she's three and got into this habit. We don't know when she got into the habit. You know, was this three weeks ago or are we talking a year ago and mm. it's been like this? So, you know, just put that as, you know, if she's doing it a long time, that's a pretty hefty percentage of her life. Yeah. So if it's a three-year-old, you know, the fortnight is a big yeah, percentage exactly, of her life. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you're going to have to be starting something brand new. So do stick with it, but make the commitment. Don't be like, oh, look, tonight's okay. That's yeah, not fair to her yeah. because you're sending a mixed message about the same thing. Yeah, indeed. Uh, my only son, who was 14, overheard an adult recently commenting on his weight. It was a passerby in the street, but it really left an impact on him. He already struggles with his appearance and told me about the incident a few days later. I'm worried that it is on his mind a lot, but I don't know how to distract him for it or how to make him feel better. I'm going to come back to the 
don't distract him. Don't make it your job that he feels better. But I just want to say, like, how awful for this kid for that to have happened. And, you know, absolutely despicable about the person who passed the remark. You know, I just really wish that we could get to a place where we stop commenting on people's bodies one way or another. One way or another, just stop it, Um, you know, and just, you know, I think we can do something of this with smaller children and raising them, you know, in a very different way that you just all bodies come in different shapes, sizes, colours and abilities, and we don't comment on them. They're just bodies and you leave it at that. But I do think you come at it, emphasise that to him, that what the passerby did was despicable. It was awful and it shouldn't have happened. And you're sorry it happened. And I really think you want to go away from that pull as a parent when you see your distressed child you get really pulled into this kind of fix or change rescue agenda I just want to fix this I just want to take away the pain distract you shiny shiny look over here but that's not the way kids get better from things in fact the more that we work to do that the message we're inadvertently conveying is stop talking about it it's too difficult for me to see you in this distress so please stop showing that to me and that's not what you want because it doesn't mean the distress has gone away it means he's not bringing it to you anymore Mm. so I would see great hope in the fact that he told you this happened and he told you how he feels about it so come at it with acceptance that this was an awful experience and empathise with this do much more listening than talking because that'll stop you getting pulled into that fixed piece. And after you've listened and reflected back what you've heard him say, you know, don't parrot it, but paraphrasing, okay, so what you're, this happened and you're feeling and you're thinking and just reflect back and using your face and your tone to convey that empathic emotion. Wonder with him what might help. Look, what's going to help? Is there anything I can do? How can we move beyond this, mm. you know? What would help you? And I'm hearing here is that he also he's already struggling with his appearance that so he had that emotional vulnerability that has been amplified by this horrific remark. So I'm wondering, does he need to talk with somebody? Great that he's talking with you. But could you suggest, would he be open to talking to somebody about his feelings about this and somebody who can help him with self-esteem, with his body confidence, body awareness, all of that that's going on for him. But even if he's like, no, 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 the fact that he's talking to you, just hold that and say, that's okay. I just want you to know that's an option for you if you ever want to say more about this, but don't want to talk to your mum. But I'm so glad that you will or your dad, whoever it is. You know, I don't want, you know, I'm really glad that Mm. you are talking to me and it's something we can always do. And you very much are reflecting back, not in a denial way, but reframing a lot of how you're talking about bodies at home in terms of what they can do over how they look and really emphasising all of those other positive qualities he has as a person. You yeah. know, I just, that's such an awful experience for anybody. But a 14 year old is just it's horrific. So vulnerable. Uh, going back to uh, bringing kids to a wedding. Ellie says, my kids came to my brother's wedding. They were involved in the ceremony. We had activities for them during dinner, a kid's menu and colouring books and board games. They enjoyed some fun after the dinner. Then we're, <laughs> this is the key thing. <laughs> then we're collected at seven o'clock so the adults could enjoy the remainder of the day. It worked perfectly for us. Brilliant. Of but, course it did. Yes. Like that's very but, tight operation. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people would travel though to, yeah. to a wedding and then you mightn't uh, have that. Uh, uh, you mightn't necessarily have that option. Uh, another texter says, when I was about seven, a neighbour commented to my mother in front of me that I was very stout. Oh. When I asked mom what that meant, she said, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good for your mother. I'm now 57 and still remember how I felt when I did learn the true meaning mm. of stout. 
says his texter. Yeah, because in the moment your mum did such a beautiful thing, but yeah. you will that you're always going to discover what that word meant. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in relation to the 17 year old who got the tattoo, uh, one texter says, "I got my first tattoo with my daughter for her 21st birthday, and my second tattoo with my son for his 25th birthday." So you never know the person who wrote into us. Maybe maybe that's what will happen. Uh, though Eddie wonders, any idea what the tattoo is of? Maybe it's mother. Any t- for her? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what's freaking her out. Uh, Joanna, <laughs> thanks a million. As always, Joanna Fortune, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to uh, take a break. After that, the hidden story behind fashion. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.